0: talked about uh, earlier in the service we're going to start we're going to move into chapter 9 in our book and chapter 9 in the life you've always wanted is called the guided life and it's about the the guidance of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives and we over the last couple of months have been talking about the spiritual disciplines of confession and prayer and solitude and um, just the, the different ways that we can use these disciplines to Live out the life that God has called us to live out, the life that He's made available to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so, as we move into this next um, chapter and we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to start. It's probably going to be at least two parts, maybe three, but I've titled the message, Ignorance Isn't Bliss. Ignorance Isn't Bliss. And if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 19. That's what we're going to look at um, here in just a few moments. But The idea of ignorance is bliss, maybe you've heard that, is this concept that if you don't have knowledge about something, then you don't have to be concerned about something. So if I'm ignorant about it, then, you know, my life is a little easier because, um, you know, that it's just bliss. It's just easier than trying to navigate the difficulties of knowledge. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, that's the way a lot of Christians have acted over the years. Because I'll be the first to admit there have been a lot of weird things, uh, a lot of rude things, a lot of even anti-biblical, I think, things that have been done in the name of the Holy Spirit over the years. And the problem with the Holy Spirit is we can't see Him. And so when someone plays the, the card of, well, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, It's really hard to argue with that, especially when it doesn't contradict Scripture. Now, if they tell me, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to do this and it contradicts Scripture, I can say, no, he didn't, because the Holy Spirit never speaks contrary to God's word and who God is, because that's the character of God. But there are a lot of times that people will say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, and it's hard to argue with, because I'm not in your head, and I can't hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, and I'm not him. So I don't know everything that he's saying. And as a result of that, many churches, many believers have found it just easier to kind of put the Holy Spirit on a shelf and not really talk about him, not really talk about the gifts of the Spirit, not talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because ignorance is bliss. I mean, we don't have to worry about the weird if we don't get into that at all. But even in First Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, we'll look at that in the next couple of weeks. The Apostle Paul is correcting the Corinthians church. He's telling them all of these things that they're doing wrong and that they maybe need to adjust, and that's not how the Holy Spirit operates, and this is how the Holy Spirit operates. And in this, these three chapters where all of this correction is taking place, he even tells them, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to treat prophecies with contempt. I want you to understand this because it's vital. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, I believe, is a gift that the Father has given to us so that you and I can have an even more intimate relationship with His Spirit and how to live that out in our daily lives. And yet, because of the excesses that have happened over the years, some people shy away from it. And I'll be honest with you, I grew up in an Assemblies of God church, so I grew up all around The talk about the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, the gifts of the Spirit, very much so operated in the church I grew up in. But as a kid, I wanted nothing to do with it. I didn't want to experience that. I thought it was weird. I thought it was um, something that people were just making up. And my analytical brain kind of got in the way for me being able to accept it. My pride definitely got in the way for me being able to accept it. And I went through all of my high school years, I went through my college years, and it wasn't until I was in my fourth year of Bible college that I had an encounter in a chapel with uh, a a guy who was speaking, and it was basically a word of knowledge that he had. And as he prayed over me, he knew things about my life um, that he couldn't have known. Uh, We didn't know each other. He was from Alaska, I was from North Dakota at the time, we had never met and I realized in that moment that there's something to the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've been trying to distance myself from it. And it was almost like God began to open the door for me to, to begin to experience the, the Holy Spirit. Now, by nature, I am not an extrovert. Okay, Some of you might not believe that. You might think because um, I, I can be a little odd in front of people and I can speak in front of people. That it, but I promise you that that took years to develop. And if given the chance, I would much rather be behind the scenes than in front of people. I am not a an exuberant uh, demonstrative type of person, even for me to worship when I was in in um, high school. I remember doing this with my hand felt like I felt like I was doing this. I mean it felt like everyone was watching, and I just i 'm like uh." And, you know, I don't have a sense of rhythm, and so there are times I feel like dancing, but it's like, uh, I don't think people want to see that. Or, uh, and so I'll, I'm just being honest with you. This, this is not my personality. And so for me to learn to operate in the gifts of the Spirit was a stretch. And it took years for me to get to the point where I was even comfortable letting the Holy Spirit have His way in my life. I promise you... He will never ask you or make you do something you are not willing to do. Okay, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. We do not get out of control unless we give him control. Okay, demonic spirits take control. The Holy Spirit asks or prompts but never pushes. And he's gentle. He's kind. He's not in this to try to force you into some kind of mold. But I promise you the work of the Holy Spirit is important. Back in 2009, um, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, and he addressed the fact that most of the church had kind of put the Holy Spirit on a shelf, and he talked through about the work of the Holy Spirit. John Bevere has some great resources. There's a book called Drawing Near. There's a book actually entitled The Holy Spirit that is a great reference tool. Uh, All of those are in our church library that you could use if you want. You can buy them yourself if you want more understanding about how the Holy Spirit works. Tim Enlow uh, is a friend of mine, has written two books on the, the subject matter. Uh, he wrote a book called um, Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove, um, which I promise is a very profound book about the work of the Holy Spirit, even though the title is very Tim Enlowish, ish um, That's just kind of Tim's personality. And so th- he wrote another book before that one called "Want More. And we keep a copy of that, a lot of copies of that book on hand because it really unpacks the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how it works and how He operates in our lives. And so all of those are resources that are available. But we're going to start a conversation today, and uh, however far we get, we'll stop, and then we'll pick it up again next week, and uh, we'll keep going from there. And so I would encourage you, if you're not a note-taker, at least write down the Scripture references that I give you today. Some of them I'm going to go through quickly. Some of them I'm going to make comments on. Some I won't. But this is kind of the background or the foundation for what we refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the Assemblies of God, and uh, we're going to unpack it over the next couple of weeks, but I'd love for you to go back over these verses and read them during this week, and, and don't just take my word for it, you unpack what the Bible says and what the Bible's teaching about it. But I want to start by telling you that in the Assemblies of God, we believe in this experience known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but we believe that the Holy Spirit is at work and lives in every follower of Christ, everyone. He is the agent of regeneration. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When you become a follower of Christ, you only become a follower of Christ because the Holy Spirit drew you to Jesus. It wasn't because you're smart. It wasn't because you put, it, put the pieces together. I promise you, the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life far longer than you recognized. He is always drawing people to salvation. And when we are born again, the way the Bible says, when we surrender our life to Christ, in that moment, instantly, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and we become the temple of God, the house of God. When we sing that song, there's joy in the house, it's not this room. There's joy in the house. The house sings out praise. How does a house sing praise? Because we are the house of God. We're the temple. And every person who believes in Jesus becomes that temple. Now, we believe the Bible teaches that there is another experience, what the apostles, what we refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The, bat, the word baptize means to submerge or immerse in. That's what it means. It means to fully submerge in something. So if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, literally you are immersed in the Holy Spirit. I, I always explain it this way. It's like the Holy Spirit is in us, but the baptism is a surrendering, a more yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's giving Him more control of our being, our lives, namely our tongue. That's where speaking in other tongues comes in, and we're going to get there, don't worry. But the Holy Spirit is not the baptizer. Jesus is the baptizer. He baptizes us in His Spirit. Matthew chapter three verse eleven, John the Baptist is is beginning to explain this to the people. He says, "I baptize you or immerse you in water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire." And so, as we go through um, the scriptures, I want you to. I just I wanted to lay that foundation so you understood that when I talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I, I believe every follower of Christ has the Holy Spirit. I just believe there's more. And even those of you that have experienced, myself included, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that's not the end game. <laughs> the Bible says be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one and done. It's a every day I need to immerse myself in the Spirit. I need less of me and more of Him. And that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit really all about so let's go to acts chapter 19 let's pick up there the apostle paul it says while apollos was in corinth paul took the road through the interior he arrived at ephesus and there he found listen to this some disciples some followers of jesus some believers some disciples and he asked them did you receive the holy spirit when you believed I believe Paul is referring to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He's not referring to the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. He's not asking them, uh, if because he's, he already believes them to be disciples. He already believes them to be followers of Jesus. That's what I believe him to be referencing. So they answer, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, again, don't be confused by our translations. You, we have to understand what's happening here. These people would have heard about the Holy Spirit. They would have heard about God's Spirit. But they have not heard that there is some type of encounter with the Holy Spirit beyond what they have understood. They don't understand what Paul is talking about is what they're saying. So then Paul asks, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Verse 4, Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, scholars are d- disagree about what is actually going on here. What's the difference between John's baptism versus Jesus' baptism? and Were people rebaptized? baptized if, if John baptized them, were they baptized into the name of Jesus? And what is all going on here? I will tell you, we cannot make a theology about the Holy Spirit on one passage of Scripture. And so while this isn't fully clear as to what's taking place, we've got to keep all of these passages that I'm going to give us today, and we've got to keep them together, and that's how we develop our theology about how the Holy Spirit operates. So they were baptized, and then verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Now, there's a whole lot going on in here, and the teacher in me really wants to unpack it because the fact that Luke even says there's about 12 men in all, uh, it's not like Luke couldn't remember how many, but there's, there, are, there are references here to the apostles, there's references to the disciples, there's references back to the temple, the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, there is so much going on in here that we just can't take it face value, but it doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about right now. So we're going to put it on the shelf. But they're baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. At the moment of their baptism, has the Holy Spirit taken residence in them? Or did, did Paul have to lay hands on them for the Spirit to come into them? Was, were, were they already having the Spirit in them, even though they didn't understand His work? If they were disciples and followers of Christ, what is this passage really talking about? At what moment did they receive the Holy Spirit at all? And is this experience that they're having where Paul lays his hands on them, is that the Holy Spirit coming into them for the first time? Or is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit that we hear about in other places throughout the book of Acts? Well, I'm glad you're asking all these questions. Let's go back and let's talk about that. Because uh, oftentimes people say, well, do I need the baptism in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And I love the answer. I don't know if you've ever seen this meme that says, honey, you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. And so it's not, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about your salvation. It's about power to live here. And, you know, we need His work in our lives. And so I hope that as we read these passages, that the fears or the misconceptions or the doubts are, are able to be laid aside. And we can actually receive all that God has for us. So in John chapter 20, Jesus is with his disciples after the resurrection, and he comes into the room and he says, peace be with you. I think it would have been a whole lot easier if he would have walked in the door, but he just appeared in the room and says, peace be with you. I I love the irony of that moment. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, scholars are going to really disagree on this. Is this the moment the disciples really, that the Spirit takes up residence in them, or does the Holy Spirit really not take residence in them until the day of Pentecost? Lay it side by side. Luke chapter 24, Jesus again, after his resurrection, says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's an interesting thing because he doesn't use the, the word until you receive the gift or receive the promise or receive the spirit, but until you are clothed with power from on high. We would say that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a clothing with more power, more ability beyond our natural abilities, a supernatural working, a supernatural ability. So then the disciples do just that. They stay in Jerusalem. They spend a lot of time in the temple, which is where I believe Acts chapter 2 happens. I know that in many of our Christian circles, we say that the day of Pentecost happened in some room, uh, hidden away. The disciples were afraid, but but the author, Luke, tells us that they met together in the temple courts every single day. And if you actually look at the southern steps of the temple, there are actually th- these ritual bathing pools, and people would actually gather there to be taught or to be understood, and there is a lot of space for 120 people to receive something, and then for 3,000 people to be baptized. Because if they're hidden in an upper room, and then all of a sudden they're in the temple courts, and people are there, and somehow they found water in the middle of Jerusalem enough to baptize 3,000 people by immersing them, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you start to unpack it. And so in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. Oh, Pastor Tom House. Yes, the house of the Lord would be a great way to refer to the temple, and Luke actually does that throughout his gospel, and the book of Acts, which he wrote, and so this could refer to not a house upper room, but the house of the Lord, the temple. And I think this is important because there's a story being told. God is telling the story about where his presence is. His presence was on Mount Sinai, and when he came down on Mount Sinai, there was thunder and lightning, and there was a sound, and there was fire, and then God spoke. And then God did the same thing when he filled the tabernacle, and he did the same thing when he filled the temple. And now on the day of Pentecost, we're just continuing the story. And so just because these signs take place on this moment doesn't mean the signs are supposed to happen every time someone receives the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There could be sounds, there could be no sounds. There could be fire, there could be no fire. There could be wind, there could be no wind. It could happen quietly. It could happen loudly. The only thing that matters is Luke is pointing us to the story that's already been told saying this is God now dwelling in his new house. That's why I think it took place on the temple steps, but can't prove it. So, verse 3. So they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And I know if you grew up in an assembly to God's Sunday school, it was just this little ball of fire that sat on everybody's head, which is a little weird um, (laughs) because we don't know what happened. We don't know if a big ball of fire came and then separated on all of them or if they had this little thing that was just on their head neatly and nicely. Some people actually think that it looked like they were being consumed by fire. The fire actually looked like it was all over their bodies. So I don't know. I just know there was fire and it's God filling his house. That's what we need to focus on. So the Holy Spirit then... They, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Not as the Spirit controlled them. Not the Spirit didn't take their tongues and make them do it. But the Spirit gave them an ability to do this. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, they, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking, speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Okay, so even on the day of Pentecost, it was a little weird. I don't know what's happening here, but some people thought they were drunk. And so for those that get hypercritical of people and say, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. Those people are rolling on the floor and that's just weird. Be careful. When you want to declare that something is or is not the Holy Spirit, make sure you have truth to back it up with because you don't know if it's the Holy Spirit. I don't think the Holy Spirit has to make us roll around on the floor, but the Holy Spirit, His activity in our lives sometimes is so good. It's so freeing for some people that they actually just let go. They do. And some of them fall down. Some of them laugh. Some of them roll. Where we get into trouble is where we say it has to happen or it should never happen. When the Holy Spirit comes on people, all kinds of stuff happens. And we can be okay with whatever the Holy Spirit does in another person's life. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd and said, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what's interesting here? Joel doesn't tell us about tongues. Peter doesn't clarify why they're speaking in other languages, unless it's just prophetic utterances, which could be. Let's let's hold that thought. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The disciples, after they face a difficult moment where they were arrested and threatened, pray and ask God for strength. And then this is what happens in result of their prayer. They say, Amen. And this is what they get. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. These are the same people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Two chapters later, They're being filled again. It's not one and done. There's more to this than maybe we understand. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is called to the house of a Gentile, and he begins to explain to them about what Jesus has done. And in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, he was in the middle of his sermon. I should have prayed this. This was a great thought. I'm one of those people that has a great thought after the moment. The Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message and the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Peter didn't even finish his sermon and people are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. That'd be good. They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Interesting. Interesting. He heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Here's my question. If they're speaking in tongues, and tongues are always known languages, are they all speaking in like a language that someone in the room recognizes? Or are they speaking in tongues and in their own language also praising God? That's a great question. We need to keep moving. So Peter then orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus, and then Peter stays there for a few more days. Back in Acts chapter 8, the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, and they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. Here's this again. They prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Again, if this is just the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives, How did they become believers without that? This is why we have to take all of the Bible and run it together and make sure that our theology makes sense all the way through. And if we believe the Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of every person who becomes a believer, then there has to be a separate experience known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit that the apostles are talking about when they're saying receive the Spirit. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's not baptized in the name of John for repentance. It's baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But yet then, they still need Peter and John to place hands on them so they receive the Holy Spirit. Then this is where it gets interesting. Verse 18, when Simon... Now, Simon we're told in this chapter is a sorcerer he's a guy that works in magic arts he is and he has become a believer okay so he has seen all kinds of probably demonic stuff happen but now he's become a follower of Christ and he is watching this take place and he sees that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles hands here's my question how do you see that I mean, if the Holy Spirit is just quietly taking up residence inside their hearts, what is this magic art, demonic-influenced guy seeing that's like, hey, give me that power so when I lay my hands on people, they do—they receive the Spirit? Well, something demonstrative has to have taken place. We would believe that they spoke in other tongues or they prophesied in some way just like every other account we have throughout the book of Acts. I want to tell you that, that tongues, we believe, is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I won't say that someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit work in their lives, hasn't operated in a gift of healing, if they've never spoken in other tongues. I'm not going to say that. I can't put the Holy Spirit in this little box that says, and I know that some people get hung up on tongues right here. They just don't believe that what's coming out of their mouths is actually, they're just thinking they're making it up. Trust me. I'm like, oh, I just know it's just me making it up because I grew up around it. I hear other people doing it, so I'm just making it up. And when I was a senior in Bible college, I had a man that explained the baptism in the Holy Spirit and said, you just have to receive it by faith. You have to believe that if you're asking God to fill you and that is coming to your mind, you need to speak it out in faith. (laughs) Okay, I finally got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. But for years, I battled this idea that it's just me. I'm just making it up. It's just, I, and I just, so I had this brilliant plan. I may have shared this with you before, that if if someone who spoke another language heard me speaking in tongues and understood what I was saying, then I'd believe. Then i believe that I'd really received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So one day in staff meeting, unbeknownst to me, to what's going on in my heart, my mind, I didn't tell people that I was, I mean, I was the pastor of an assembly of God church. You can't tell people you don't think you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I, I just, you know, i just going by faith, going by faith. And so one day there's a Spanish speaker speaking staff member that says, oh, Pastor Tom, I almost forgot to tell you, you were praying in the Spirit on Sunday and it was weird because you were praying in something that was just tongues I didn't understand it but all of a sudden you said this in Spanish and then you said this in Spanish then you said this in Spanish and then you went back into something else and I'm like I don't know what you were saying but then you went back into Spanish and you did it like three times and I looked at her and said yeah right oh yeah if only someone would rise from the dead then I would really believe in Jesus it's the idea that the baptism in the Holy Spirit has to be received by faith, and I have grown to the point in my life with the Holy Spirit that when I don't pray in the Spirit regularly, I notice a difference. I notice a difference in my attitude. I notice a difference in my hope level, and so I want to challenge you as we go through this week. We're going to pick up next week and uh, talk about tongues and talk about the gifts of the Spirit and other passages in the New Testament, um, but. I want to challenge you. Reread these passages of Scripture. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you don't pray in the Spirit regularly, you need to start. Every day. Shower time. I mean, when you're in the shower every morning, pray in the Spirit. Just let the Holy Spirit be the one that prays. He knows everything you're facing today. Let Him be the one that prays. I believe the New Testament teaches us that praying in the Spirit builds our faith. It empowers us. It strengthens our prayers. It gives a a focal point to our prayers because the Holy Spirit knows things that we don't. Uh, I believe we also need to pray in English, and we'll talk about that next week. But if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, begin to pray in the Spirit regularly this week. If you haven't been, ask. Ask. In just a moment, we're going to pray. You can ask to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit right now. And when the Holy Spirit brings these things to your mind that you should speak out and Mr. and Mrs. Analytical, trust me, I know where you are. And I promise you that it might not just change overnight. I mean, I pray for you that your experience is better than mine and that those doubts and fears just vanish when you're baptized in the Spirit. But I promise you, keep walking in it. And you will find the benefit of intimacy with the Holy Spirit through praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. And so I want to encourage you to to pray, to seek, to ask this week. If you've got questions, eh, we may answer them in the weeks ahead. Pick up the phone. Let's schedule coffee. Let's talk. Talk to someone else in our body about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God works in our lives. And let's allow the Holy Spirit over this next month to do things in our lives that we didn't even expect. And so, Father, I thank you. For the gift of your spirit. I thank you that you have sent. Your, your presence. To live inside of us. And God I pray today. For those that are in this room. Those that are watching online. Especially those. That battle the, the analytical mind. Or battle fears and doubts. Or uncertainties. And I pray Holy Spirit. That you would bring clarity. Over this next week. That, that scripture passages. Throughout the Bible would begin to come together and begin to make sense in their hearts and minds like never before. Holy Spirit, that you'd begin to tear down those walls that keep any of us from experiencing all that you have for us. Father, for those that have had an experience with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but we don't pray regularly in the Spirit, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to fan into flame that gift in our lives. Help us to utilize the gift that you have brought to us, that gift of tongues. Help us to be open to the ways that you want to move in our lives through, through words of knowledge or words of wisdom or gifts of healing, maybe things that we don't even fully understand yet. But you're the same God that took the Gentile believers who hadn't even had the gospel fully explained to them, and you baptized them with your spirit. God, we don't want to limit you today. We don't want to put put barriers on how you have to work in our lives or, or how you will work in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray over these next few weeks, help us to have handles that help us to understand how you work, but keep us from developing walls that keep you from doing things in our lives that are really for our good. And so I pray... I pray for these today that are in this room. I pray for myself, just for a fresh baptism of your spirit. God, we face a world that is chaotic right now, that is confusing, that is difficult, that produces anxiety and fear and anger, much like the apostles in Acts chapter 4. God, we just need your boldness. We need your love. We need your grace. We need power. We need wisdom. So baptize us, not just today, but every day. We want to be so immersed in your spirit that, Holy Spirit, you flow out of us in every moment of our days. So Holy Spirit, I just ask for your guidance for each and every one of us over this month ahead. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, you're going to find John gives a lot of insight in the chapter that I'm probably not going to get to um, because when it comes to the the Holy Spirit, there's a whole lot I want to cover over the next couple weeks. And so read the chapter, Uh, read the study guide. Have conversations with other believers. Read over these passages again. And allow open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to do in your, life, your lives over these next few weeks. So don't forget to stop by the table before you leave today. There's a lot of information, a lot of stuff you can pick up out there. And don't forget to pick up your lunch. $10, you can give cash check or you can use the app or church center. Uh, you can text 84321, however you want to do it. Thanks for being here today. God bless you as you go.